chapter 10. And if you weren't with us last week, we did chapters 8 and 9, which were all talking about uh, God and finances and money. And here in chapter 10, Paul kind of changes direction a little bit as we're going through our study here in 2 Corinthians. You have to remember the purpose of 2 Corinthians, way back when we first started this study, was Paul obviously wrote 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was a pretty straightforward letter. The church at Corinth received that letter, and it uh, shook them up a little bit. So Paul wrote 2 Corinthians to kind of remind them, hey, I love you, still love you, but I'm going to be honest with you. And the church at Corinth was going through a lot of difficult times. So what was happening here a little bit is the church at Corinth was kind of saying, well, who's this Paul guy? Now, why is he writing us these letters? Why should we listen to what he has to say? He's not here. He doesn't know what we're going through. So what you get into the second half of the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, is Paul, I don't want to say defending himself, but Paul basically saying, I know what I'm called to do. I'm called to correct the issues that are going wrong in that church. And you may not like it. You may not want to hear it, but I love you enough to do it. That's an ongoing theme here in Corinthians, is that he loves the church so much He's not afraid to be honest with them, sometimes brutally honest with them. He uses the word bold, and that's what he's going to do. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you, that I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as he walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, the second half of that is what I want to deal with. But you have to talk about the first half first. Paul here in verses 1 and 2, I don't know if God's being sarcastic or if Paul's being sarcastic or if it's a mix of both you got a little bit of stuff going on right there. In verse 1, Paul says, I'm lowly in presence, but I'm bold in my letters. See, that's what kind of they were saying. They were basically telling Paul, you're telling us to do all things, we'll come to our face and tell us to do all these things. And so Paul's kind of doing a little tongue-in-cheek here. Yeah, I'm this really humble guy in your presence. I'm meek, kind of wimpy. But in my letters, I'm really bold, right? Well, he goes in verse 10. He goes, the reason I'm being bold in these letters is so that way when I get to you in verse 2, I don't have to be bold with you. He goes, let's basically correct this by a letter so that way when I come, you and I don't have to be bold with each other. Because he jumps ahead to verse 3 and he goes, I don't want a war according to the flesh. What he's basically saying is, I'm not trying to pick a fight with you guys. He goes, but you know what? I am going to be bold in these letters because I care enough about you and I love you and to tell you the truth. And so when I come into your presence, I will come in the same boldness that I'm writing you right now. But he wants to remind them in verse 3, we're not trying to fight each other. Isn't that a good concept to remember? Verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war in the flesh. This is what we're going to talk about here tonight, is realize who you are fighting when you're really fighting. Turn, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 6. A lot of times we get into these knock-down, drag-out arguments over nothing. And we have to sometimes stop and realize, what is the real battle here that's going on? And it's not you versus me. Even though it seems like it's you versus me, it's not you versus me. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. And let's go ahead and start here in verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Look at verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of the wickedness and the heavenly places. Realizing who you're fighting. You're really not fighting flesh and blood. 
What you're really fighting is that sin nature that's in all of us. Or sometimes you're fighting someone who's being used by the enemy. A lot of times I'll get somebody to call me up. Um, they'll be involved in maybe some court case, some dispute at work, some situation. And they got this really difficult person they're dealing with. And usually I ask them, hey, is this person saved? No, this person's not saved in any way whatsoever. I usually tell them, hey, then remember, it's not you versus them. They're just being used by the enemy. Realizing your fight. Your battle is going to be won in the spiritual realm. Verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. See, so often we wrestle in the physical realm. I'm going to beat you with my words. I'm going to make my point. You are going to hear me, and you're going to walk away from this argument realizing I'm right and you're wrong. That's not, not the point. The point is to seek peace in the Lord. Isn't that the whole point, is to find this type of peace where it's supposed to be? The book of James comes right out and says, if you're taking notes, in James chapter 3, he goes, where do wars and fights come? He says it comes from inside of you. Your sin nature, my sin nature. Why do we get in arguments? Why do we let little tiny disputes escalate into knockdown, drag out fights? It's because that sin nature inside of us gets the best of us. And once again, it's not a flesh and blood thing. It's the spirituality. We as Christians should stop and say, wait a second, I feel my blood boiling. I feel my flesh getting worked up. I should stop and realize as a Christian, I should not let this thing escalate. Now, it's easier said than done. But what do we always say? What is the last fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5? self-control. So therefore, when somebody comes and says, I couldn't help myself, I couldn't stop myself, I didn't, you have self-control. And if with having self-control, that means the Holy Spirit inside of you is strong enough and powerful enough to tell you in your ear, stop. Now, we have to decide whether to listen to that or not listen to that. And if you put all this together, what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 10, he goes, it's not you versus me. We're not trying to have a fight here. Ephesians chapter 6, we're not wrestling against each other. James chapter 3 tells us it's our sin nature that comes out and creates all these arguments. And then Galatians 5 says we can have self-control when we go through these things. But in the middle of an argument, in the middle of a fight, it's really hard to remember those things, isn't it? It's really hard to remember those things. Isn't that kind of interesting? Jump back to verse 1. How did Paul describe Christ? Meekness and gentleness. Can you ever imagine Jesus losing his temper and yelling and screaming? Now, some of you may say, well, yeah, he cleaned out the temple. Yes, he did. And that's something that the Bible talks about, righteous anger. You're allowed to get upset, I'm allowed to get upset. But can you imagine Jesus, red in the face, losing it, screaming, pointing the finger, and whatever coming out of his mouth? You just can't even envision that. Because why? Verse 1, he had meekness and gentleness. Now, some of you may say, well, that was easy for him. He wasn't married to who I'm married to. He doesn't work with who I work with. I disagree. You go back and look at those 12 apostles. That tested his patience. How many times do you see in the Gospels Jesus looking up to heaven and saying, oh, worthless and perverse generation, how much longer shall I deal with you? I think he had his buttons pushed a little bit, but he always responded. Now, the problem is we look at this word meekness, and we don't see meekness, we see wimp. That's the problem with us Christians. We just get walked on all the time. We don't put our foot down. We don't stand up for things, and we just look like we're a bunch. No, we're not weak. We're meek. There's a huge difference. Meekness means power under control. Meekness means I could deck you and make a point. I choose not to. Meekness means I could respond in words and go down to your level. I choose not to. I'm not weak. I'm not letting myself get walked on because I know where I stand and I know that I'm being stronger by not saying anything. Now, that's hard to remember in the midst of an argument in a fight when you're trying to prove your point and you're being humbled by this person yelling and screaming at you. But there is a time as Christians where we do need to stand up and say something, which Jesus wasn't afraid to look at the Pharisees and say, you're the sons of the devil. But at the same time, too, when Jesus stood between, before Herod and Pilate, there's times where he also said nothing. 
There's a time to say something. There's a time not to say something. What Paul is saying here to the church at Corinth, he goes, we're not trying to fight each other on this. He goes, we're not wrestling against each other, and you have to remember that. As believers, don't go down to the level of the world and get into those word arguments with them, those yelling matches with them. Nothing good comes out of that. We're supposed to be meek. We're supposed to be gentle. We have self-control. The Holy Spirit living inside of us, one of the fruits of the Spirit, is, is self-control. Now let's get that point down flat. Once we get that point now, now we can move to the next part, because look at verse 4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, meaning fleshly, meaning earthly, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. See, we do have weapons. We have powerful weapons in our arsenal that we get to use. Now, those weapons are not your words, and those weapons are not your fists. These are spiritual weapons that the Lord has given us. You're still there in Ephesians chapter 6. Let's keep on reading down. It says in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. See, this weapons that God gives us in verse 13 is the armor of God that we're able to stand in evilness. Some of you live in a house full of evilness that you have to stand in. Some of you live in a town full of evilness that you have to stand in. Some of you work in a place that's just full of evilness. And part of you may be doing everything you can to get out of there. And maybe the Lord's leading you to get out of there. But also sometimes, verse 13, God's also leading you to stay. Like, stand. I don't know how many times people will come up to you and say, man, I need to get a new job. Why? I am the only Christian on my shift, on my floor, on my line, fill in the blank. I need to get out of there. Now, it's easy for me to say, I say, well, maybe that's why God put you there. It's because you are the only Christian on that line, on that floor, on that shift. And you're just a little bit of light in a completely dark place. Our whole purpose of being a Christian is to what? To spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now the problem is, it's tough to stand in evil. Hence verse 13. That's why we have to put on the armor of God. That's why God told us in 2 Corinthians 10, we have these weapons. Man, we don't realize we're in a fight, do we? Christians just don't get it. We're in a fight. When you go into the non-believing world, into the work, at home, wherever it is, it's a battle every day to go deeper in your walk with Christ. And when, if you don't realize it's a fight, you're going to get yourself killed out there spiritually. You know I like history. I read a lot of books on history. And, and one thing that I've never forgot, I read a book on D-Day one time. I've shared this story with you before. A lot of these troops going in on D-Day had no idea they were, they were green, never been in combat before, never seen that. And so some of them were just so naive, they didn't have a clue of what they were getting into. And there was this one guy that were on the first boats and were landing on the shore, and he wanted a picture of himself of when he landed on the shore. So he gave this guy his camera, gave him a few bucks, and he said, hey, as soon as we land on the shore and, and the ramp comes down, we come flying out, I want you to go out first, turn around and take a picture of me running out with my gun. It'd be a great picture. Paid the guy to do it. So the ramp goes down. He gets ready to the pose. The guy runs out with the camera, turns on, takes his picture, and immediately gets killed. And he said, at that time, I realized this is war. And I think what happens sometimes as Christians, we get saved, we get born again, and we think it's all going to be sunshine and roses. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. God is now my Father. And I just get to wait for the rapture and the return of Christ. And what a wonderful blessing will be. Jesus said it's a battle. John 16, In this world you will have tribulation. That's a verse we don't talk about too much. In this world, you will have tribulation. But he goes, but take heart, I've overcome the world. It's going to be a battle. And if you're going into battle, you want your armor. Well, look at the armor that God gives us here in verse 14. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. First thing there, truth. To gird your waist, you remember back during Bible times, they wore these long robes. and they girded their waist, that means they picked up that robe, tucked it into their belt, and they said, now it's time to get to work. They girded themselves. Truth. You've heard us say this out here numerous times. There's three truths in the Bible. 
Jesus is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. God's Word is truth. You stick to those three things, you're going to be okay. The next one you have, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness. The only way we can have righteousness is what? Through Jesus Christ. What does the breastplate cover? It covers your heart, your internal organs. Jesus Christ is in your heart. Jesus Christ covers your internal organs. He protects you. He is your protection there. Next one, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. God has given you feet to do what? To spread the gospel. That's why we're here. We forget these things. God says, take your feet, move your feet, and go spread the gospel. And what type of gospel is it? The gospel of peace. Not the gospel of war. Even though we're in a battle, we're spreading the gospel of peace. Look at verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Now, obviously, faith is very important. It says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing the word of God. As you grow in your walk with the Lord, your faith grows, and that then pleases God. But why do you need a shield? You need a shield. Why, verse 16? Because you're getting shot at. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. This is a battle. Once again, I don't mean to keep belittling this point. As Christians, we don't realize the battle of this. We're going to have a baptism here in a couple weeks. And one of the things we tell everybody who gets baptized is, you just put a huge bullseye on your back now. You made a public confession of Jesus Christ. You made a public confession in front of the world, in front of the body of Christ. What do you think the enemy is going to do? He's going to hit you with everything he can. So that's why God says, I've given you a shield. Shields block things. They're going to get shot at. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, obviously, that is a picture of God's Word. Once again, what is a sword used for? A sword is an offensive weapon. So often we use God's Word as a defensive weapon. Well, defensively, God has given us the shield. If He's given us the shield to block, that means He's given us the sword to swing. So therefore, let's get out there on the offense with God's Word and start spreading the gospel of Christ. And I don't want to skip over verse 18 either. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. Those are some mighty weapons that God has given us. His Word and prayer. Those are mighty weapons. More is accomplished in prayer than what we can ever imagine. Don't ever forget that. If you're facing an unwinnable situation, more is accomplished in prayer than what you can imagine. And stick to God's Word. Stick to God's Word there. But the one I want to use as a segue to what we're going to talk about is verse 17, the helmet of salvation. Because jump back now, if you will, to 2 Corinthians 10. Helmet of salvation means what? Your mind is always on Christ and Jesus. Helmet of salvation. See, in 2 Corinthians 10, we've covered the weapons of our warfare, but look at verse 5 again of 2 Corinthians 10. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's where the battle's at right there, guys, isn't it? It's your mind. The battleground is your mind. I would never go out and kill somebody, but I've sure thought evil thoughts towards people. How many times have we done that? In our mind, we've done the lusting. In our mind, we've done the anger. In our mind, we've done the back-talking and the complaining and the whining and the whatever. Now, we've never verbalized it. We've never acted on those things. But my goodness, we've sure been guilty of what's going on in our mind. That's why Paul wrote, every thought has to be brought into captivity. When my mind wanders towards lust, I need to grab that and say, no, in the name of Jesus, I'm not going there. When my mind wanders towards anger and hate, I need to grab that. When my mind wanders towards unforgiveness and bitterness, I need to grab those things and bring them into captivity. And how do I bring them into captivity? The obedience of Christ. Let's put this all together. Helmet of salvation, I keep my mind on Jesus and my mind on the salvation of Christ. Turn to Philippians real quick. Let's build on this. So my mind's always on Christ. Well, if my mind's on Christ, that means I want the mind of Christ. Build on this with me. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. 
Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Okay, isn't that a good goal for us Christians? Think like Jesus thought. That sounds good, doesn't it? What did Jesus always think about? What is God's will? What does God the Father want? How can I please God the Father? What a great mindset to have. Okay, I want to have that mindset. That lasts for about 30 seconds, maybe 20. And then my mind starts going to where James wants to go. Where James wants to go, it's a dirty, dark place sometimes. And so it's a constant battle to bring those thoughts back into captivity to where Jesus' mind is. Let's just be honest. Anger gets the best of us. Lust does. uh, Worry, fear, anxiety. And when those things happen, we need to grab those. Now some of us, I don't want to say laugh it off, some of us don't think it's that big a deal. I'm just a worrier. Really what you're saying is I'm just a sinner. Because worry and sin. Well, I just have a tendency to get worked up about stuff. That says be anxious for nothing. I have a tendency to rehash things in my mind. I really just need to let it go. Yeah, we do. Because the mind of Christ. Can you imagine the apostles coming up to Jesus and Jesus sitting there on the ground, biting his fingernails, saying, man, I am so worked up over this. I don't know what to do. I can't think straight. I don't, I don't even know what to do. I just, I just can't. I can't do anything today. No. Jesus never let the worry, the fear, and the anxiety of life get to him. His mind was so focused on what God wanted to do and what God's will was. The Bible says he set his mind. He set his mind in stone there for the Lord. So we have to have this mind which is in Christ Jesus. Well, what happens when your mind begins to wander? Well, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Let's build on this. We're supposed to take the thoughts into captivity. We're supposed to have the helmet of salvation. We always think about the Lord. We're supposed to have the mind of Christ. But what happens when the mind begins to wander? Look at Philippians 4. Start in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How simple is that verse? I'm supposed to be anxious for nothing. Nothing. Nothing is supposed to bring anxiety, fear, worry into my life. If it comes into my life, what am I supposed to do? Verse 6, I'm supposed to, by prayer, get rid of it. What a wonderful deal that God has. I give him my fear, my worry, and anxiety. He replaces it through prayer with peace. Look at verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So often someone comes up to me and they're worried about this, they're worked up about it, and I say, we need to pray about it. So we pray about it. And I say, well, what's this supposed to do? And I say, I don't fully understand it, but some package deal that God has. When you in faith give that worry, fear, and anxiety over the Lord, He replaces it with peace. Well, how does He do that? Well, verse 7 says it surpasses all understanding. I don't know how He does it. If I could explain it to you, that means it's not surpassing all understanding. (laughs) That's the catch. You have to, in faith, realize that's what God does. And to be quite honest, I talk to some people, and they can't accept that. Well, to be quite honest, they're not going to get the peace of God because they're trying to figure out how it works. I don't know how it works. I know when I'm worked up about something, if I stop and I really pray and give it over to the Lord and say, Lord, please take care of this, there's a peace that comes. Now, does that mean all of a sudden I'm not worried about it? No, my flesh likes to go back to worry. My flesh likes to go back to fear. My flesh likes to go back to anxiety. When that happens, what do I need to do? I need to go back to 2 Corinthians 10, take those thoughts captive and say, no, I'm not doing this. In the name of Jesus, I take that thought captive. When my mind wanders, I take that thought captive and I go back. Now, for some of us, it is an ongoing process and it's a daily battle to not let your mind wander. It is. It's a daily battle. But that's part of what we're in is, Lord, I want my mind to be on you. And one of the weapons that he's given us is prayer. You ask for prayer from your brothers and sisters in the Lord. You pray over those things yourself. And you also use the sword. Memorize those scriptures. If you have a problem with worry, you go to Matthew where it says, do not worry. If you have a problem with lust, you go to Matthew and say, we're not to look at a woman lustfully. If you have a problem with fear, you go to Timothy where it says, do not have a spirit of fear. You memorize those scriptures with that sin you struggle with. You stick them in your car. You stick them on your fridge. You read them every morning. And you say, Lord, I want to battle this thing in scripture. Pastor Rich just a couple weeks ago talked about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And how did Jesus battle the enemy? 
the Scripture. That's the sword. That's what happens. So what happens though when your mind keeps wandering? Look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. When your mind wants to go to that element of worry, God says you've got to start thinking about something else. You've got a big day at work tomorrow, and you're really concerned how it's going to go. You could spend all evening thinking about it, rehashing it, analyzing it, and what good's going to come out of that? The Lord says meditate on something else. Verse 8, think about something else that evening. Think about God's goodness. Listen to praise and worship. Read your Bible. Think about something else. you got those test results. They're not going to have the results back for three to four days. And they're huge test results. You can spend the next three to four days in constant worry and just destroy yourself emotionally, spiritually, physically, or you can think about something else. Verse 8, meditate on something else. And what does it say in verse 9? The God of peace will be with you. Isn't that a beautiful deal? He takes that from you. One last verse about this subject, and then I want to close up here. Not only praying about it, not only seeking God's word on it, but also sometimes doing something about it. I just want to share this verse with you real quick. It's Proverbs 16.3. Proverbs 16.3. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. I like that. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. I think one of the biggest things that we do that creates problems is we have something that really brings us down. It really makes us worked up. It really makes us upset, whatever it is. So we sit there all evening and we just think about it. Well, I see Proverbs 16.3 and says, Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Why not get out and do something productive for the kingdom of God and get your mind off of it. I've shared this with before. When somebody comes into my office and they're struggling with depression and they're just struggling with what's my purpose in life and just kind of the woe is me thing, one of the first things I always tell them is you need to find a place to serve. Because if you just sit there and wallow in that self-pity, nothing good's going to come out of that. You've got to get up and do something. Remember when Elijah in the wilderness went into the wilderness and he sat under the tree and he prayed that he could die. What's the first thing that God did? Woke him up. There's that sleep of depression. If I'm just going to spend all evening on the couch, flipping through the television, thinking about how bad my life is, how horrible it is, and how everything's going to fall apart, my goodness, if that's what you're going to do all evening, you're going to get depressed. Get up and do something. Commit your works to the Lord. Well, I don't know what to do. We'll find you something to do. There's always someone to pray for. There's always someone to visit. There's always someone to write a card to. There's always something to do. But if you sit there and allow that to get the best of you, that is just going to eat you up inside. No way around that. No doubt about that. Commit your works to the Lord. Last two things I'm going to say about this, because we have a tendency sometimes to do this of, um, of letting these situations get the best of us. Why do we allow these things, these thoughts just to get planted in our mind? Well, here's the problem. Your thoughts become actions. So you start analyzing everything. Why did he say that? Why did she say that? Well, what does he mean by that? Why do you think they did that? And you have this Horrible conversation with yourself. Boy, when you sit and talk to yourself, what happens? Oh, it never goes good. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 Kings 12, and we don't have time to get there tonight. 1 Kings 12, 26. One of the kings of Israel, the Bible says, he says, he said to himself in his heart. This is talking to himself. And he talked to himself, and he convinced himself in his heart that his kingdom was going to go worship in Jerusalem, so he decided to set up golden calves for them to worship on his own. Now, that is not a good idea. But yet he convinced himself that that was the right thing to do. I know sometimes that some of us sit there and we play all these scenarios out in our mind and we analyze, we rehash, we think, and we work ourselves up into a tizzy. We're all flustered, we're all worked up. Why? Because we sat there and just rehashed and rehashed and rehashed. That is nothing good comes out of that. Take those thoughts captive. You can't go down that path. 
If you sit there and just think to yourself and talk to yourself in your heart, that's a danger zone. There, there was a guy years ago that used to have um, struggles. He, he lived by himself, and he, oh, he had the same area that kept popping up. And I know what would happen. He would sit there, and he would just all evening think about it. Work up, work up, work up. He'd call me, and he's just totally worked up about it. So I finally told him, I said, hey, man, I love you enough that I'm not going to talk to you about this issue anymore. Nothing good comes out of it. There's nothing we can change about this. I'm a big believer, and there's things you can change and things you can't change. You can't change this. The only thing you can do is pray about it. And so I told him, anytime you bring this subject up, I'm just not going to talk to you about it. He would just sit there and get himself worked up about things. And the next thing you know, he's worked up about this. Well, then it filtered to everything else. He's upset about this at church. He's upset about this at work. He's upset about this with his family. And it was just this horrible spider web of stuff that just brought him down. And I love that guy. But I told him, I said, we just can't. It does you no good to do that. You have to take those thoughts captive. But the key is, this is one thing I've realized, and I know we're running a little late here, some people like to get worked up about stuff. I don't get it. They get their kicks out of being flustered and frustrated and upset. Man, nothing good comes out of that. Last thing, careful what you say to yourself. That was 1 Kings 12, 26. Careful, now this next one is, careful what you convince yourself of. Because sometimes we start convincing ourselves of truths that aren't truth. But we've convinced ourselves our truth. No one likes me. I don't have a place out there. No one wants to hang out with me. No one wants to be around me. They really don't like me. We go from talking to ourselves now to convincing ourselves. And you know who an example of this is? Elijah. I just want to share this with you real quick. In 1 Kings 18.22, Elijah says, I am alone and left a prophet of the Lord. He's the only prophet of God left. He jumps ahead. In 1 Kings 19.10, he goes on and says, I alone am left. He says in 1 Kings 19, 18, he goes on to say, once again, I alone am left. There is no other one. He's convinced himself he's the only remaining prophet, and he worked himself into this horrible depression. He was the only one left. God shows up in 1 Kings 19, and he says to Elijah, Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal. God says, Elijah, you've convinced yourself you're the only one left. He goes, Elijah, i got 7,000 other guys that haven't given up. But how many times have we done that? We've convinced ourselves of something that's not true. Why? Because we rehashed it in our mind. We've talked to ourselves about it. Or we've gathered our little clique, our little group, and we've only bounced it off our little group. And next thing you know, we're not seeking truth. We're not seeking the Lord. The enemy has gone in there. He's planted these thoughts of bitterness and anger. We're not loved. We're not wanted. No one cares. Fill in the blank, whatever it is. And God's tapping on your shoulder saying, don't go down that path. Paul says you have to take those thoughts captive. Be careful what you say to yourself. Be careful what you convince yourself of. Because the enemy will have a field day with you on those type of things. Stick to the truth of God, and remember that's Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and His Word. Take those thoughts captive. When your mind begins to wander, you have to meditate on what is good, holy, and just. You have to focus on that. You have to take those fears, worries, and anxieties, replace it with prayer, and you have to trust that God works, and He gives you a peace that surpasses all understanding. And once again, I can't explain it because it surpasses all understanding. Paul is telling them in the church at Corinth, don't allow the flesh to get the best of you. The battle is in your mind. If you let your mind wander, your body will follow. And if you let your mind get your eyes off Christ, my goodness, you're going to get yourself in a deep spiritual pit. Anybody have any final questions, comments about this before we close up? Covered a lot of stuff tonight and we did it fast, but uh, we were kind of short on time and I want to make sure we got it all covered. Anybody have anything they want to say here before we close up then? All righty, let's go ahead and pray.